morning, friends. Uh, my name is Christian Kuhn. I'm the lead pastor of Urban Village. I'm also the site pastor here uh, at uh, UVC South Loop. It's great to be with you here today. Uh, many of you know that uh, my daughter is a senior in high school, so we've been visiting different college campuses. And last fall, we went to visit uh, Michigan State University. And uh, before we went on our tour, uh, they gathered us all together and just did a quick round of introductions. Uh, and asked uh, the students where the, their name and where they were from. And we noticed uh, as people were introducing themselves, quite a few of them said Chicago, which I thought was so interesting. So as we started the tour, and I would talk to some of them, and I would go up to them and said, oh, where in Chicago do you live? Uh, and then uh, one person kind of looked at me sheepishly. He said, well, actually, I live in Schaumburg. <laughs> Uh, and I discovered that this was a pattern uh, among people on these tours. And I went up to another person, so where in Chicago do you live? I said, well, actually, we live in Hinsdale. Uh, and I found myself uh, judging them uh, a couple of different ways. One, uh, to, I didn't say this to them, but part of me was like, hey, just say where you're from. You know, no, no shame in Schaumburg. There's no shame in Hinsdale. It's all right. You can, you can claim that. Uh, but also, what I discovered, too, and I've lived in this city for nine and a half years, and there was a part of me who, when I discovered that they lived in the suburbs, there was a part of me that was like, oh, suburbs. <laughs> Have a certain way of thinking, perhaps, and it's okay, you know, God loves you. And <laughs> Now, I say this, I lived in the suburbs for 17 years. I enjoy living in the suburbs. I have nothing against. We have people here today who live in the suburbs. We love people who live in the suburbs. But something was happening in my brain. Like, well, suburban people have a way of seeing the world, and there are city people who have a way of seeing the world. Uh, and that's just not the way it is. We have a spectrum of how we see the world, regardless of where you live, whether you are a city dweller or a suburban dweller. It is unfair for me to say, just because you live in this part of Chicagoland, that means that you see the world in this particular way. That's not the way it happens. Instead, again, there is a spectrum, a way to see things. And I, at times, forget that that is a thing, that there indeed is a spectrum. You know, we just ended a sermon series last week uh, talking about how do we make decisions, how do we discern, we call it what next and this week, I still am reading articles about that. And I read this article by a psychologist who talked about ways that we make decisions. And he called it System 1 and System 2. System 1 is when we make decisions quickly. Uh, and when we have to uh, sometimes make uh, instant choices. Uh, and we sometimes our brains have to do that. Because if we were methodical about making every single decision, uh, we'd be exhausted by the time noon came around. So system one thinking is just how do we quickly make decisions and put sometimes we put things in categories. System two thinking is a, a bit more methodical. It uh, tries to be a little slower, a little bit more deliberate. And ideally, we are also employing ways in system two thinking as well. The problem can take place when we are making decisions and we use system one thinking, and that's quick putting things in categories, when we use system one thinking when it comes to how we view others, particularly how we view other people. So 
on my tour of Michigan State, I was using System 1 thinking when I heard someone was from Schomburg, putting them quickly into a certain category, which was unfair to that person. But that's sometimes what we do when we use System 1 thinking, quickly putting people in categories because we don't want to do the work of being a little bit more methodical and thoughtful about how we do such, uh, such things. And that can lead us even to more dangerous territory when we use system one thinking, when thinking about others too, and that can lead to racism, for example. It can lead to implicit bias, and it can also lead to sexism and assumptions that we make about gender. And that brings us to today's sermon and this sermon series that we are uh, beginning today too, calling In God's Image, and exploring what does it mean uh, to talk uh, about gender and how do we understand gender better. So part of the reasons we're doing this sermon series is because we feel like it's necessary for lots of different reasons. We have people in our community who identify as transgender, and so we want to make sure that this is a, a welcoming and inclusive place for them, too, as we begin to explore what does gender mean. We have people who are parents of people who identify as transgender, and they are also trying to come to terms at times, and how can I embrace my child, and so we want to do this for them. And then we have lots of people, too, who just have questions, and they wonder, what is gender, and how do we understand it? So uh, this sermon is for them, too. But frankly, friends, this also sermon series is for me, because I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but when we talked from the very beginning of Urban Village, and we knew that we wanted this to be an affirming, inclusive space, and so at times you talk about LGBTQ uh, IA+, plus. and at times we may think, I am welcoming of people who identify as lesbian and gay, but there are times, too, when there are other letters in this configuration where we don't quite understand, or and we're maybe afraid to ask the questions. And so that's why we're doing this, too, to get a better understanding, not only some of the definitions, but also how does God fit into all this in our faith lives. So I open this sermon series and today's sermon with a really big fat caveat. And that means I am not an expert. Uh, when I say this sermon series is for me, it is helping me to begin to understand people who identify as transgender better too, so that I can at least begin the process of not being a system one person and just categorizing them in certain categories and missing out on the spectrum and different stories of uh, where people who identify as transgender are coming from. And so when I say this is a caveat, I am saying I'm not an expert. So I guess I'm hoping that you will give uh, me some grace because I will perhaps say things incorrectly. And so I encourage you, I want you to uh, come up to me and let me know. That's maybe one way of understanding it, but that's not the complete way. So maybe here's my story. If I say this thing in a wrong way, please, I'm asking for your forgiveness as we try to uh, get at this. But it would also be easy to say, well, because we don't understand it, then we're just not going to talk about it. And that's, we don't want that either. So we're diving in and doing our best to read and understand and listen while trying to talk about this, while also opening the door for others to share your own stories too. And I hope that we can all do this uh, together. So thank you for your uh, patience uh, as we uh, go into this sermon series. I also want to start, I want to start with 
let's talk about some words and some definitions because we'll be using some of these words and it'll be helpful for us to unpack these words a little bit. So I'm going by a book called Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians by Austin Hartke. If you're looking for a resource to begin this process of learning more, I really highly recommend this book, uh, Transforming. So let's, there's a slide I think that has a list of words here. Let's begin to talk about some of the words that we'll be talking about today anyway. And there'll be other definitions that we'll be talking about in future sermons too. So this is not an exhaustive list of what we'll be exploring during this sermon series. So when we talk about gender identity, this is what we're talking about. This is what I'll be talking about out of uh, being helped by this book called Transforming. Gender identity is an internal sense of being male or female or both, or maybe sometimes either or. You have that identity, you identify as a certain gender, but sometimes have a hard time explaining why. This is what we mean by gender identity. Gender expression is the way that we make our internal sense of gender visible to others. So maybe through clothing or hair or, or mannerisms or voice. And I'll say more a little bit about this in a bit, but this is when we talk about gender expression, this is what we're talking about or I'm talking about anyway. We talk about sex or assigned sex in the book. Austin Harkey uh, puts it simply like whenever a baby is born and they say it's a boy or it's a girl. So by this we mean that one's assigned sex is determined by a, a glance at a new baby's external genitalia. And that sets a person up for usually a lifetime of gender expectations. When we talk about sex or assigned sex, this is what we are talking about, the difference between gender and sex in this sermon series anyway. Transgender is someone whose gender identity does not match the sex they were assigned at birth. This is an adjective. So someone may identify as a transgender man or a transgender woman. Someone I also want to note, and actually Darren has been helpful as we, as a staff, has been talking about this sermon series to, to make sure that just because uh, someone may have gender-affirming surgery, and they may not, you don't have to have uh, gender-affirming surgery in order to identify as transgender. Does that make sense? So when we talk about transgender, that's what we are talking about too. Cisgender means that their gender identity matches the sex that you were assigned at birth. So uh, when I was born, I assume somebody said it's a boy, and that's how I identify as a gender too. So sometimes you may notice that some folks on their name tags put he, him, his, or they put she, her, hers. They may say they. And this is one way of letting folks know this is uh, how, the, how they identify. And when we talk about cisgender too, uh, often someone will use that language too in talking about that. So sometimes when we say, I, I, my name is Christian and my pronouns are he and her is, uh, it's also an act of hospitality uh, to let know this is who I am, but also it's an invitation to let others know that we don't make that assumption, that you may present as male or female transgender, but we don't make that assumption. That's what cisgender means. Gender binary, finally, is a system that says that people only come in two genders. This often happens in white Western cultures who only say there's only male and there's only female, even though there's some other cultures that identify up to seven genders. But in our context, often there's a gender binary of saying that there's only one or the other and there is nothing in between. So 
This leads us then, or I should say sometimes when we talk about gender binary, for some, when they talk about there's only male and there's only female, they will point to the scriptures as the reasoning. This is how they come to this conclusion that there's either male or female. So let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at Genesis 1 uh, and begin to see and explore really what uh, this says, what Genesis 1 says. I think it's important to always talk about whenever we describe Genesis, at least where I'm coming from, is to not see Genesis as a science textbook, uh, but instead to see Genesis as poetry, uh, as a way of describing and using words to describe how creation came to be. There is truth in Genesis, but I don't necessarily see it as fact, if that makes sense. And so we begin from, at least so you know where I'm coming from, that's where I'm starting as we begin to explore what Genesis says. But I think there's really wonderful beauty here in Genesis as we begin to understand what God's creation uh, is all about. So Genesis begins earlier than what we read today in saying that God created the heavens and the earth. So we see here, earlier I mentioned about categories, where we put things in categories, and this is what Genesis 1 begins to do. It begins to talk about God creating heavens and earth, day and night, evening and morning. So we see here early basic categorization. God creates plants, flora and fauna, seasons and stars. And then on day six, some might say the crowning achievement, God creates humans with a special emphasis on who we are. God created humankind in God's image, the scriptures say. In this image, God created them male and female. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, master it, meaning have dominion or be stewards of all of creation. And God saw everything and God saw that it was good. We see here, I think, a way of describing creation as a spectrum. From the beginning, God created all of these things, and the author, I don't think, was meaning to make an exhaustive list of all of the different things that are part of God's creation. So, for example, what do we make of the blue-headed wrasse? What is the blue-headed wrasse, you may ask? It is a fish. Interesting kind of fish, uh, this kind of fish, a third of these, they are all born sexless, without a sex. A third of them, as they begin to grow older, a third of them become female, a third of them become male, and then a third of this kind of fish do something really interesting. They start off as female, but then when they produce, begin to produce eggs, they become male. And then this kind of fish becomes even bigger than the original males did. So a really interesting part of God's creation. Genesis 1 doesn't talk about the blue-headed wrasse, nor would we expect it to. Instead, Genesis 1 gives us a spectrum of all of the different things that God created. I don't think we expect necessarily for Genesis to talk about all the specific things in this way. And so we see here... Uh, in this text in Genesis 2, when it comes to humankind, that a certain word is used, used to begin to describe who humans are. It talks about male and female, but the word used before this, humankind, is the word Adam. We sometimes say Adam, A-D-A-M. Adam is not uh, a name tag. Uh, God did not create a human and say, we're going to put a name tag on this individual. Adam is a Hebrew word, which means humankind. 
So we see here that God created Adam, God created humankind, God created a spectrum, including male and female. But do we expect then for that to be the be-all, end-all of who God created? It's a really wonderful quote from the book I mentioned earlier uh, by a United Methodist deacon named M. Barclay. And if we could put that uh, quote up, Hannah, and this is how M. Barclay talks uh, about this. M says that this chapter in Genesis talks about night and day and land and water, but we also have dusk in between in our creation. We also have marshes in between land and water. These verses don't mean there's only land and water, and there's nowhere where these two meet. These binaries aren't meant to speak to all of reality. They invite us into thinking about everything between and beyond. I think it might invite us, Genesis, into the conversation, to invite us into exploring the spectrum, the breadth, the grandeur of all of God's creation, not just a few things that are mentioned here in this passage. And also, I think Genesis is here for us to begin to talk about who and how we were made, but also what our purpose is. Why were we created? I think Genesis begins to get at this too. What is our purpose? And this, I think, is the key, perhaps, of what Genesis wants to tell us. And the first thing that God says, the first command is to be fruitful. Or one other version of the Bible says that the first command to these first humans was prosper. That's the why of why we were created, to prosper, to bear fruit in our lives. And I think this is where we begin to see how God, I believe, is doing this through individuals who go beyond male or female. And we see examples in our own lives, even though at times we may try to categorize them. So one example, we have a picture of her, is Martha P. Johnson. There was an a Netflix documentary about her that came out about a year ago. You may not have heard of Martha P. Johnson, but she was one of the leaders, the vanguards of the early LGBTQ movement, especially in the late 1960s. She was there. You may have heard of the Stonewall Riots. Martha was born as Malcolm Michaels, grew up in New Jersey, and had a hard time growing up, partly because of uh, their Christian upbringing and didn't really feel at home until Marsha moved to New York and found joy as a drag queen, began to dress in the way that she felt, and then began to reach out particularly to uh, LGBTQ youth who were there in New York. And then at the time of the Stonewall riots, when the police came to drive them out and LGBTQ people stood up and said, we demand justice for ourselves, Martha was there or Marsha was there to be with them and to be a leader among them. And Marsha was tragically murdered in 1992. But we remember her for all that she stood up for and the differences that she made, the ways that she prospered and was a vanguard for those who were treated unjustly in society. We remember Marsha as someone who initially did not fit into the categories that we put up for individuals, but instead went beyond them and prospered 
and bore fruit for others so that they would know that they are welcome and part of God's creation as well. I want to talk about one other individual. This is a little bit closer to home. So this is a picture. If you could put the other picture up. This is Archer. Um, my wife and I had been dating for about four and a half months. And I'll, I remember this very vividly. Uh, I knew when we started dating that uh, my wife is one of four. Her oldest brother, Judd, uh, was married uh, and, uh, to Elizabeth. And they were pregnant with their first child. And so about four and a half months in of dating, I remember Anne calling me and saying, it's a girl, and told me about uh, the first child that uh, Judd and Elizabeth had. And so that would be the first of many children that they would have. They have a large family. Uh, and so I became, uh, later on, once Anne and I got married, I became an uncle. And so watched all of their children grow up. I had a conversation this week with Archer. And Archer started telling me about uh, his own upbringing. As uh, Archer was going through uh, his teens and was known as Maggie, uh, started feeling depressed and started to feel that something wasn't quite right and chalked that up to being a teenager. That's what teenagers go through. But it wasn't until Archer went to college and began to have language, perhaps, and began to have a greater understanding of the different things that he was going through, and then began to realize that, really, he identifies as a male. Uh, Archer is uh, his last, or his middle name, I should say, uh, and so he started identifying uh, as Archer. So it was a shift for our family to begin to see Archer in this way. And I must confess, Archer has uh, gone by Archer now for probably two or three years. But I've never had, I've never sat down and really had a conversation with him before. And so this week I did, finally, long overdue, and started asking questions. And he was kind enough to answer all those questions with grace and with patience, uh, that his uncle would perhaps ask some very elementary things. So later on in the conversation, I asked him, what are some questions that you find insensitive or that you struggle with? Because I, in some of the reading I was doing, uh, have been reading that sometimes uh, people are offended if you ask if they've had surgery or not. Uh, or sometimes they are, uh, don't want to answer the question is, what was your first name or your birth name? And they may not want to answer that question. So I asked that question thinking that that would be the response that he would give. But he said probably the hardest question that he has is when people talk to him about this is the question, are you sure? And that's the hardest thing that he struggles with. I think people are probably well-meaning, but they will ask him, are you sure about this? And now he kind of laughs about it because of all of the thinking and discerning and conversations that he's had with so many people, for them to say, are you sure, kind of makes him laugh a little bit. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> Am I sure? Because I think sometimes people think, well, this is probably just a whim. It's something that the young people do these days. And we fail to really listen and get a sense of all of the different things things that they are going through. 
Sometimes another term that people use is uh, gender dysphoria, that sense of that disconnect that you are assigned one sex, but really you're feeling a different gender. They call it gender dysphoria. And Archer introduced a term that I'd never heard before. He said that people don't talk enough about gender euphoria. And I asked him, do you remember the time that you first started using Archer? And do you remember the time when you started uh, asking to be referred to as him or his? And he said, I asked him to, how, you know, what's the difference between uh, the two uh, t times in your life? And he said, it was like living in grayscale before, but now I live in color. I'm now truly being who I am. Are you sure? Are you sure? And now Archer continues to bear fruit. He graduated from North Park College, North Park University, and still is not sure what he wants to do. And so he's taking classes at a community college so that he can be a vet tech and care for those animals that God has created and that we read about in Genesis. We read about some of those animals, the fish and the land animals. We don't read about all of them, and Archer wants to take care of all of them. Their house is filled not only with children, but every kind of animal that you can imagine. And Archer wants to take care of them all. God created so many wonderful things. And Genesis 1 gives us a taste, a beautiful taste, a beautiful hint of the grandeur of all that God is and all that God has created. And I think sometimes, actually, when we limit God in this way, saying, no, it's only going to be this or that, we limit God. And we limit what God can do and what God can create. I think God has created so much more than we can even fathom or realize. And so when we explore who God created and how God created and we ask ourselves and we begin perhaps to get into places where we're categorizing or making assumptions, we shouldn't maybe ask the other person, are you sure? But maybe we should ask that question of ourselves. Are you sure about that? The way that maybe that you have been thinking about certain and we haven't talked to someone, we haven't heard their story, we haven't gone through the process of really getting a sense of where they come from. So we ask maybe ourselves, are you sure? And so, Friends, we are surrounded by God's creation, by God's beauty, by God's diversity. And it includes the creation around us and includes who is before us too, right in front of us. Let us begin the process of listening, of hearing stories, of affirming and celebrating all that God has created in our midst. And we begin to see too the ways that they prosper, and the ways that they bear fruit as well. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for beauty. We give you thanks for creation. We give you thanks for the many ways that you are working in our world. We give you thanks for identity, the ways that we see ourselves. At times, that can be a struggle particularly for those who have been identified one way and yet feel another. Lord, we pray that we as a community of faith can be with those who wrestle with this. We pray that we might be a community that can affirm those who have a clear sense of who they are. 
And we pray that you would help us to walk with those on the journey so that we can listen, so that we can be your hands and feet in your welcoming arms. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.